Welcome to the Operation Miss Podcast, where we provide moms with tools to survive pregnancy and thrive postpartum. From healthcare providers and organizations to Miss Moms and moms who survive near-death complications, each conversation will equip moms to have a safer motherhood journey, whether preparing for pregnancy, currently pregnant, or recovering postpartum. It is our sincere prayer that all women who listen will leave with a missed mentality, one where she asks questions unashamedly so she can have what she needs to make an informed decision, where she has more trust in her body's design than she does in medical intervention, and where she allows her data to guide her lifestyle so she shows up to motherhood in her best health. Now, let's listen to today's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Operation Miss podcast. So happy to talk with you all today. We have a very special guest, Dr. Evans, and um, I'm Jessica. I'm one of your co-hosts, and Catherine is here. Hey, Catherine. Hello, everyone. We're so happy to have you here with us today because we ran into this beautiful woman at a community health event for moms. And the thing that stuck out to us the most was what she, she had a platform and had a certain period of time in which she could pour into these women. And what she told them was to make sure that their symptoms do not get ignored during their pregnancy. That was one of the things that she said. Now, what makes that even more powerful to me is that she's a physician. And so a lot of times we find the physician shy away from questions but she is telling you that if you have anything that you need to ask or communicate, that you do that and you do it confidently and you continue to do it until you're taken seriously. And that's something that we really believe could help turn the tide in the maternal health crisis because, you know, where the CDC says that symptoms are missed by providers, it's like sometimes they're not communicated to providers. And sometimes um, if they are, and then they're brushed off and the mom doesn't come back and say, hey, no, this hasn't gotten better, that there are things that could be missed. So so we wanted to have her on the podcast because we know that if she had five minutes and she gave that quality information, what could she do with 30 minutes, right? What could she do if we really got a chance to talk with her? So Dr. Evans, we are so humbled to have you here and uh, would love for you to let our audience know more about you and anything you want to share. Okay, well, thank you for uh, inviting me uh, to your podcast today, Operation Miss Podcast. I am a family physician in uh, middle Georgia. I currently um, work in what's called direct primary care, taking care of um, my patients' primary care needs uh, at Rejuvenate Family Health Care. But I have a passion um, always for... um, Uh, reproductive health, especially um, perinatal care and postpartum care and everything. So that's why I was able to meet you ladies. Um, uh, Because one of my, I guess you can say, passion projects is with a a nonprofit um, called the Central Georgia Birthing Project, uh, where we pair uh, pregnant women with mentors slash support in the neighborhood 
um, that they are in, in the communities and everything. Um, and those mentors are called sister friends to um, the pregnant uh, people. And we just have a wonderful group of people right now. And we're, we're having a, a great time um, and, you know, solving, helping solve some issues um, for some people, great and small. So we're, we're really enjoying uh, being able to touch the community that way. Wow. You know, it's interesting. We always think of physicians as being super, super busy, but you find time, you make time uh, to help take care of moms. And I just think that's so admirable. Do you know, so how did the Central Georgia Birthing Project get started? And what are some of the issues that you found that you've been able to help moms circumvent? Oh, uh, sure. So the Central Georgia Birthing Project um, is a, we'll say, a uh, passion of mine and a, a few other ladies um, that uh, help. And we've been talking about it for, this is 2022 two that were doing this interview so maybe since just before the pandemic in 2020 um we were trying to get started then um and we are affiliated um with um birthing project usa um so they're pretty much like the lead organization that you know can give us advice um and that we you know send some information to so they can you know help with their reporting and things like that and make and they kind of make sure that um everything is running smoothly and they support us um to make sure that there aren't any needs that we have um for our project that aren't met but we've been going strong with our ladies now for since 2019. let's see well i'll say yes we we started trying to get everybody together, um, get all the ducks in a row, 2019. And we actually started pairing people in 2021. Yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, it's 2022 now. So 2021, um, our first group of mothers um, are currently um, uh, either have just delivered in the, in the past, several months three or four months um and we have several that are uh still uh cooking and baking <laughs> <laughs> i think the last one so far is uh i think will be into november in this current group and then these ladies uh will stay with their sister friends till that child is one or if you know if in the unfortunate case of a loss, um, they can decide to, if they want to continue with the program, they can and stay close with that um, sister friend to kind of walk them through that. Yeah. But so, so when they're, what do their sister friends do with them? So what is the role of the sister friend? So the role of a, of a sister friend is to um, be that person who is saying, hey, uh, when's your next appointment? Did you go to your appointment? Did you have any questions? How did you feel, you know, after your appointment? And just kind of identifying things in between um, appointments that uh, the 
sister, we call our mother's sisters, may have any issues that may come up. And we also connect them with community resources. Um, you know, if especially first time mothers, showing them how to um, get in contact with WIC, um, get in contact with, uh, here in Georgia, we have uh, safe kids. So how to get in contact with them, or if we come across any other organizations or community resources, just making sure that we uh, tie them into those resources that they may need. Mm -hmm. This is so good. And I love that, you know, y'all start, y'all were thinking about this program and starting it up before the pandemic. But the fact that you were able to kind of get your ducks in a row and get it started, like in the middle of it, that's so important because so many moms need support and they needed support in the pandemic too when we all felt so isolated. And I love the fact that you guys are keeping them connected with their sister friend throughout a year postpartum because that's what we do with Operation Miss. We try to keep our moms a year postpartum as well because we know that women are still at risk for so many adverse events during that first year. Uh, we have a lot of similarities with the Sister Georgia Virgin Project. <laughs> it is great. And it's good because some of our moms are here. We monitor women everywhere, but we have some women right here in Central Georgia. And mm -hmm. so if someone wanted to be connected to your organization, how would they? How did they do they? Is it a sign up process or an application? How does someone get involved? Because I know you said this is everywhere, so we could just find organizations close to the women that we serve, right? Yes. Um, well, first, uh, for the women in Central Georgia, um, in mainly the North Central Health District um, counties, um, and that includes Bibb, Monroe, Houston, Jones, Twiggs, uh, Crawford, and the list goes on. <laughs> yeah. um, we have a a form we ask them to reach out to us via email at uh central at excuse me at birth and project at middle georgia collaborations.org middle georgia collab.org i get that to you guys um and then we will send them a intake form do just a quick screening type conversation interview and then we uh match them up with a um sister friend that we feel would uh, work well with them. Um, if they are outside of Middle Georgia, they can definitely go to uh, birthingprojectusa.org and look for any um, active um, projects in their area. Yeah. Now, are the women who are sister friends, do they have children or have they had children? How are they able to help guide these moms? Mm -hmm. Some some are mothers. Um, others have just had a passion for women's health and uh, just women in general and um, are just very loving and supportive people. <laughs> so it's some, I would say a majority are moms, but there are some that aren't. Well, it's love that we realize is needed. It, with, with Operation Mist, we do monitoring, we do education. We have people, other people come in and educate. We have a group that connects the moms through our community. But what 
our moms appreciate the most, the missed ladies, whether they're moms or not, appreciate the most is the love that they feel in the group. And that I think is what is most healing, which is what was wrong during the pandemic when Jessica's saying, you know, we need, they needed people and they felt isolated. That stress of isolation shows up in our physiology. It shows up physically. Mm -hmm. And so what you all were doing really was curving those numbers, uh, things that mm -hmm. could have gone wrong, regardless of whether, and I love that you said that because it doesn't have to be that someone is a mom. It just has to be that someone cares about moms. Right. And so if mm -hmm. they do, and they say, that, it seems like something's off, or you're not yourself today, just go, you might want to go in. That's how you catch things when someone is not how they normally are. For us, it's data that shows us that. Okay, well, your body looked like this yesterday or it looked like this two weeks ago. Now it looks like this. Maybe you should go get that checked out. But it's the person in the household who can say, you're just looking different today. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should reach out. And when you have someone, because you mentioned direct primary care, and we've learned to really appreciate centers like that, where you can just go in and nobody's telling you, you have to make an appointment or your next appointment's in two days, can't you just wait? Or you know, go to the ER where no one wants to be because they feel like they're gonna be waiting forever. It's, it's a really nice way to fill a lot of the gaps, I think in maternal health care. But you are a mom to be. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so talk yeah. to us, what is your name? Uh, so I am due in October. Yes. And so tell us about your journey thus far and how through the lens of a healthcare provider, mm -hmm. um, your experience has been in how you feel you'll maybe, what are some things that you would do or tell other women to do if they were in your shoes as a person? I got you. Yeah. Well, this is, um, my second child. Um, and when they say every pregnancy is different, that's the truth. <laughs> uh, this time I am with completely different providers um, and the, I guess the space is a little bit different. So I can understand the anxiety and things like that going on um, that women may have um, when they're, you know, I don't know you, you don't know me, we don't have an established relationship, um, but just getting to know that provider. Um, so even on that first visit, you know, ask questions, <laughs> you know, what should I expect? Um, you know, I'm having, you know, don't be ashamed, even if this is your second, third, fourth, whatever pregnancy, you know, to ask questions because every pregnancy is different with every person and with every mother, you know? Yeah. So I would say I, being in a new space, can can relate to some of that anxiety because it's not my, my uh, the people I were with with my first pregnancy. So I would say, yeah, I can, I can definitely feel where that angst comes from. But um, if you even have to just write things down, write them down, um, you know, get to know your provider, um, like I was saying, and it, like, if anything is different, you know, or you're like, hey, I don't, I don't know about this, this didn't happen before, why do I feel like this now, you know, uh, ask those questions, it's okay, there's not a dumb question, <laughs> you know, you need to know what's going on with your body, and 
If it turns out that is nothing, that is okay, great. But how would you know if you never brought it up? Dr. Evans, what advice would you give to mothers who say, I write out my questions, I ask my questions, but I feel like my questions are being dismissed? Like, how do you suggest moms navigate that? Um, I would always tell them to navigate back to that question. You know, like, okay, I understand this, I understand this that you've told me, um, but I still need clarity on x y and z can you help me with with that issue um help me gain clarity on that um now providers should be able to talk to you about that um if there's a time crunch they should have a knowledgeable um nurse there you know um that can take that time to talk with you if you need to call back between appointments it's okay <laughs> do that <laughs> someone should be getting back to you you know um and if all else fails if you're still not getting your questions answered it's okay to think about switching providers it's okay this is you and your body um you're not in a marriage <laughs> to your provider <laughs> so it is okay um to find someone that can answer your questions and things. That is such good advice. Oh my goodness. Now I, it sounds like you had a good first experience or relationship with the first mm -hmm. um, people that you, that you delivered with. Is that accurate? Yes, that was accurate. Um, I had a, you know, established like GYN relationship with them over the years and things, but you know, insurance changes, um, providers move, things like that. So I'm, I'm with someone new now. Um, and so it's a little bit different, you know, different office set up, uh, different flow of procedure and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm liking it. <laughs> I'm liking it, but I can understand how just coming in um, and not, you know, if you're not a, a health professional or not a medical person, how it can be overwhelming. Yeah. That's what a, I'm sorry, Catherine. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that's such a good point because I know for me as a physical therapist, as, as a healthcare provider, like when I go for like my annual checkup, it's almost like when you go into like a healthcare provider's like office, Without your healthcare provider hat on, it looks different. Is that not yes. true? It feels <laughs> different. It looks different. And it, and if I were pregnant, I'm sure if I kind of got used to finally got used to one setting and then had to like switch to another one, that that would probably make me feel the same way you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I was just wondering. So now taking off your mommy hat and you know the birthing project hat and putting on your family medicine hat, what are the gaps that a family medicine practitioner can fill in the current maternal health care structure? Right. Do you, um, I, do you have ideas about that? Because I have questions about what can be done and, and how you all can help. Yeah. I have plenty of ideas. Oh, talk <laughs> <laughs> you. 
Um, being a family physician, I and you know any family physician is trained from birth to death to take care of people. Um, during our res residency training, we still uh, take care of or are expected to learn to take care of. Um, I would say more of a normal pregnancy without any complications and things like that. So, you know, from training, you know, you, we've learned how to care for a woman, a woman prenatally, preconception, um, postpartum, things like that. So what we find a lot of times is, you know, most family physicians um, in this day and age, you know, there's some people that go on and do a little bit more training, uh, participate in more uh, births and things like that. Uh, that do still do, do deliveries in some areas, but most of us um, don't. We leave that to midwives, um, OBs to do that prenatal care and um, being there attending births. Um, so I think it's a key component to remember that throughout life, uh, we need to consider reproductive health. Yeah. Um, yeah. So starting with the um, young people, um, even pre-adolescent, how to take care of your hygiene, how to take care of your body, yeah. um, what's OK, what people should not be doing to you, you know, those type of things like that um, are key. And then how does your body work? Um, adolescents going into puberty what's normal, what to speak up about, you know, even learning then to speak up about what's going on with your body and asking questions, you know. So if uh, the parents might not know the answer, um, they can hopefully seek guidance and getting the correct um, information, you know, for the adolescent. So it's there and that's even preconception care starting then um, with nutrition <laughs> through the lifespan, you know, um, nutrition and um, wellness and things like that. And then, you, you know, you get to young adults or even uh, adolescents who have medical conditions, even if it's like hypertension, type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes. Um, we got to consider these medications and their effect on reproduction. Dr. Evans, listen, listen. I can't, I can't, because listen, 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 listen. I'm like, I'm sitting here like, I know I'm going to re-listen to this and we are going to share this so much because all the things that you're saying are so important. And and family medicine, Dr. you're you're there all along the way. Mm -hmm. In theory, if a if a parent would take their children to see you, someone mm -hmm. like you, because I would not even say, you know, to just see a regular, but someone like you who is forward thinking mm -hmm. like this and is going to put these issues at the forefront. But then we also have to think when you said about changing insurance providers with insurance and them saying, well, you go in once a year to see your family medicine doctor. Well, is that enough? Or you go when you're sick. And it's like, right. no, you can go so that you don't get there, so that you can get on the, you know, just keep going. But I am like, you are really taking us through the lifespan and showing us, mm -hmm. listeners, 
how you are pivotal at every phase. So, okay, we're at, you know, making sure we identify these diseases, these chronic illnesses earlier, things that could be chronic right. early mm-hmm. so we can prevent mm-hmm. those things. All right, just listening. <laughs> but yes, you know, um, especially with like in, in uh, women with diabetes and hypertension, um, even women with PCOS, they have the insulin um, insensitivity. And you start early with them with um, at least, you know, nutrition, things like that. And then with the medications, having good conversations about family planning. Because um, some of these medicines, you know, with um, blood pressure medicines, we can pick something different that's safer you know, in, in case that woman gets pregnant because she is of childbearing age. Uh, with some things, chronic illnesses and things like that, uh, I'll use like some of the autoimmune diseases um, that usually creep up in young adult women. Um, those medicines, you want to come off of them for a while or switch medications there again um, once everything is under control. So talking about family planning, is very important um, for uh, those people. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times they'll, you know, as long as, you know, we kind of go through those things, talk about expectations. Um, For me, I like to, even when one of my patients is pregnant, um, keep tabs on them. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) Y'all okay over there? Everything's good? Okay, you doing good with your obstetrics, your um, provider over there. Okay. All right. Um, But then, you know, a lot of times six weeks postpartum, that's it. But as a primary care physician, knowing that, you know, issues can occur and a lot of times after six weeks, things start to creep in, you know, and, you know, uh, a, a person needs to be able to know I can call at least my primary care doctor. Um, so it is important for primary care doctors to be knowledgeable of the of that of the postpartum period as well. Um, I think I've told a story before of working and seeing a young lady who was like three or four months postpartum, and her blood pressure was just through the roof. And it's like, what's going on here? And she had the child there. So I know, you know, recently she had given birth. So I was like, I think we need to look for some protein, things like that. And I was like, okay, you, you got to go talk to um, the OB. I, I would prefer you to go to the ER because of how high your blood pressure is. Um, and it turned out that she had postpartum preeclampsia, even that late. And I, it, it surprised me. That's been the only case that I have seen personally, but it, it was like, wow, you know, who would have really, you know, took the time to think about that? I hope somebody else would, um, that she had had this child three or four months earlier, never had a blood pressure issue. And all of a sudden, you know, I don't know what happened with her melee and her body was just like, oh, okay, you know. And uh, she had the extremely high blood pressure. 
Wow. Dr. Evans, here's the thing. So when we think about surveillance of a, of a woman, mm-hmm. it's like what we're finding is that even within that first month, they're, even within the first three days, right? That's, they're home and their bodies are not returning back to any sort of, of normalcy. And so then we send them. We're like, you need to go mm-hmm. and either go to a med stop or go to. But what we have not been doing, honestly, is utilizing primary care doctors like we could have, I believe. Mm-hmm. Because we, in, in my experience, when I tried to schedule with my primary care doctor, it takes time to get in. So I figured it'll be the same way if they're postpartum. We can't have them waiting two weeks for an appointment if they Mm -hmm. need it. But with doctors like you, where you prioritize these moms or or maybe, you know, direct primary care facilities that do that. I just spoke with an MD the other day and they have walk-ins, which I'm like, what? Walk into your office? And so that's just utilizing all or figuring out what resources do these moms have because their issues are creeping up on them. And they, unless they were connected, would not have known. And that is very, very scary, especially because when you said, you know, three, four months, these moms, what we're noticing is as they transition, they get three, four months, they're going back to work. They're trying to work out so that they look better before they get to work. And it's like, this is not, your body hasn't even gotten back to normal yet. So this is not the time to introduce it. The good thing with our moms is that we can show them because they feel great. When I was in postpartum preeclampsia, I felt great. Nobody could have, unless I was sitting down and monitoring my blood pressure, which is why we like moms to, yes, listen to your bodies. And when you're concerned, regardless of what the data says, you go and talk to someone. But on the other hand, when you're feeling great, respect the data. It's telling you right now, you're not recovering well. Your sleep quality is bad. Your, you know, your body's, the gas that's in your body's tank is not enough for you to be doing all of these things. But at that point, they need to go to someone. And that blood pressure check, we want our moms checking it every single day. And you just keep checking it every day of your life if you need to, because the issue of high blood pressure doesn't go away or the the possibility of you running into mm-hmm. it doesn't go away. So all of this is just a feedback mechanism. Mm-hmm. And so just like we would never drive a car if the tank was empty. Now I do sometimes, but not like you can't do it for long, right? It's going to shut right. down. <laughs> I just would do the same thing. So why get to that point? When you have doctors like you who are like, come on in, I'll check on you. I'll see what's going on. And y'all are so much more knowledgeable than we are. So so you can let them know what's going on with their bodies or investigate. Because it could be that it was high blood pressure and then you didn't find any protein in the urine. But then you can still keep going and say, okay, well, what is this? How can we address this? And I just feel like if, if women are going to have to go out and take their babies for checkups anyway, why can they not get a checkup before six weeks when we know mm-hmm. that it's, those, it's that critical time? And there are healthcare providers at the ready to fill those gaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would say, um, you know, uh, a lot of times there can be some hiccups in the what we call our healthcare system <laughs> and trying to access it. Um, so that's where I think um, a knowledgeable um, primary care doctor would definitely be helpful. Um, you know, not only just trying to, I'm not saying just manage things yourself, but, you know, being able to call and have a relationship with that patient's um, OB office. Like, hey, I saw this person today. They're a mutual patient of ours. 
I'm concerned about this, that, and the other going on with them. They're not scheduled to see you for another two to three weeks, but I was wondering if you could give some recommendations on what to do, or do you want them to go ahead and come in? I love that. And they'll listen to you before they listen to a mom. That's what we find is that they mm -hmm. might ignore the mom and not all the time or and I wouldn't even mm -hmm. say that it's for the purpose of ignoring, but just they've seen that before. Well, we've seen people bleeding in their first trimester before. We've seen people don't worry about it, but it's like some of the times it really is something, but they mm -hmm. have to go to a med stop. Then it's identified. Then the med stop person contacts OB's office. Then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, come on in. And so mm -hmm. you are that person, you're a doctor, so they'll listen to you. Um, it shouldn't be that it has right. to be that way, but mm -hmm. you know the things to say, you know. And so it's just really nice. I think it would be really nice if moms just had doctors like you on their side so that the communication could be had. Now, I have a question for you. If we could flash back to mm -hmm. adolescence real quick. Yeah. When women are put on birth control at like, 11, 12, mm -hmm. 13. So then they're on birth control until they're 24, 25. What is happening or what is not happening as a result of the birth control that can impact whether it's their ability to get pregnant or, I mean, can you just tell us what's going on with birth control mm -hmm. so that moms, as moms, so I have a daughter. And mm -hmm. so, so that when she's that age, if she's saying, well, my cycles are uncomfortable or I'm having cramping or something, that if a doctor comes and says, oh, I can fix that with birth control, what should I consider before I say, mm -hmm. okay? The big one, the main one, we, at least I've seen in practice that a lot of adolescents tend towards is um, the uh, brand name for this Depo-Provera, so the Depo shot um, that many of us are uh, familiar with uh, because it's like every three months, there's no keeping track of appeal that you may, you know, you may miss and things like that. Um, and so that's the main one. Um, and I would say, especially for adolescents, um, just looking at the time frame, talk to your provider about the time frame to be using that. Um, at some point, you know, there might need to be a holiday for that if they've been on it for years. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the, the main one that is like, OK, uh, then you get into uh, worrying about um, uh, enough calcium in the bones um, and things like that, uh, just because of the way the uh, double purveyor works. Gotcha. Uh, so that's the main one. Um, some women, when they get off of it, they have uh, no problem with return of um ability to conceive um some may because depo it because it lasts for three months at a time it does stay in your system for a while so some people may find that it may take them a little while after stopping um the injections um to actually con try to conceive so that's the main one especially adolescents i would i would say um be asking questions about because it's the one that's simple easy <laughs> that we do see a lot of um adolescents use gotcha do you think that it is overutilized or do you think in your experience that you've seen it that it's that it's used appropriately 
I've, I've seen it used appropriately, but I think that it's a good idea. Especially when you're talking adolescence, you're talking shared decision making. So um, I'm weary of the parent that drags the daughter in. Um, she started her cycle. I want to make sure she doesn't get pregnant. <laughs> so it was like, okay, well, let's step aside and you talk to the adolescent. And we're like, are you sexually active? No. Do you plan to become sexually active? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, well, you know, if you plan to, you know, it's okay to talk to me, you know, about uh, if you plan to be or if you have, you know, um, that way we can talk about preventive measures to keep your body safe and at this point in time prevent um, pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. So a, a lot of times, um, you know, uh, you know, it, it may be that that person is not sexually active at all. So we we all have a conversation, parent, child, <laughs> or we'll say adolescent and myself about what would be the best course of action. Um, besides just, okay, let's just do birth control. Uh, I don't have to worry about what's going on. Well, there's some other worries <laughs> besides um, a pregnancy that could happen. Uh, so, you know, if we just need to have a, a game plan together. Um, but if it's warranted, a lot of times I, you know, I see where it's warranted. Um, and it's best to do something that's accessible and easy. <laughs> You know, and not missing medications and things. We'll say, okay, let's do this, and then uh, we'll check on you um, every so often and see if you want to keep doing this. Yeah. No, I love that you said that because even with saying there are other things to be worried about, it's a whole conversation about sex in general. So, okay, now I have uh -huh. a child. If I go on to have sex and then I get an STD, how does that impact my ability to get pregnant later on? Right. That impact the way I deliver later on. Mm -hmm. And then the side effects. I think if moms knew or kids knew, what are the side effects? You talked about the bone health. I think about the blood clots. I've had, I worked in the hospital, mm -hmm. saw some women with blood clots uh, from yes. birth control. You see the weight gain and women already, girls already have body image issues. And so it's like, and then obviously the other issues that come with gaining weight that, that shouldn't be on your body. And I just think that if we started talking to women about for like, what is their actual cycle? It is not mm -hmm. just that you're bleeding, put in a tampon or put on a pad so that you don't leak through your clothes. It is mm -hmm. at that though, there are certain times of the month where you can get pregnant. There are certain times of the month where you cannot. And so can we start young tracking that? Cause I noticed little girls in my neighborhood and I started my cycle when I was nine. So if I started my daughter tracking her cycle at nine, so then she could see, okay, you're circling the, the days when you're bleeding. But then after that, what's happening to your cervical fluid? Writing it there. Okay, well, once it becomes clumpy, you're not at risk for getting pregnant anymore. And so then you can, you know, I mean, you're not going to because you're nine, but just explaining to them that they get the awareness of what's <laughs> going on down there <laughs> later on. Um, because for me, I... The hormones were horrible for me. I had really bad headaches, but my mom never put me on birth control. It was when I decided to get married and um, I wanted the Nuva ring because I had I knew my cycle so well that I knew the night of that we got married that I would be on my I'd be bleeding. And so I was like, mm, I'm gonna try something. Tried the Nuva yeah. ring. It was the worst 
decision I've ever made. And I've been on the calendar method ever since. Yeah. Just I had headaches. I was laying in the bed for it was bad. I mean, it wasn't bad the night of. It was wonderful. So the hormones <laughs> didn't mess me up. So after that. Oh my gosh. I was I was so different from you because I um my mom did drag me into the health department when I was in high school because I had this boyfriend that she was just so scared. Okay. And um I and I I think I, I used patches. Back then, I don't even think they do patches anymore, but I hated the way that it made me feel. Like if I did too much, phys- I was a cheerleader. And um, if I did like too much physical activity with like workouts and stuff, like I would vomit. It was just weird. Like symptoms that I never, you know, had before. And I think I did have a little weight gain. And I got, I personally, when I got out of my mom's house and I went to college, I stopped, you know, with the birth control just because of the way that it made me feel. And I had, when I was growing up, Catherine, I had no idea in high school that as a woman um, who had her period that I could not get pregnant at any time. Like I thought I could get pregnant at any time. I had no idea that it was a certain time of the month as a woman that I could get pregnant. <laughs> if my mama had told me that, I would have told her, mama, you never have to worry about me getting pregnant. And I wish that, um, like you were saying, Dr. Evans, you know, having that conversation because when they're at Alexis, you can make shared decisions with those patients. And if, you know, more doctors like you and parents and the adolescent come together to start birth planning and learning their cycles early, that that would be so helpful. And I wanted to also say this before we started talking about um, just the menstrual cycle, that when you were speaking about um, working as a primary care physician, working with women who are pregnant, before pregnancy, after pregnancy. Um, I really wanted to say, because I've been thinking about this for days now, that like OBGYNs are not the only providers that will fix the maternal health crisis. And I feel like right now, people are feeling as though the onus is on them, and it's not. Um, And it, it will never be one provider that will fix this crisis. We have to work on all of those avenues before pregnancy with planning as early as adolescence. During pregnancy, I think the OB will be the captain of the ship, right? But then afterwards, it's like women get thrown out into the wilderness and they have to figure this out. And half of the time, they don't care about thinking about their health because they're thinking about their baby. And they get missed. And that's why, you know, we started Operation Miss because we have moms. Like I was talking to a mom yesterday and she was saying or last week and she was saying how this is all for the baby and i'm like well i'm all for you because Mm -hmm. somebody has got to be for them and i think about all of the women who probably go to urgent care or primary care physicians and have a blood pressure that's sky high and the ones who are black to kind of get brushed off and ignored or the ones that don't bring their baby to the office and maybe the PCP or uh, mm-hmm. ER doctor doesn't even know that they just had a baby and mm-hmm. how those things get missed and they develop chronic hypertension over time. Or the ones whose OBs have discharged them or however let them go after their six-week six checkup who have hypertension and never get referred to a cardiologist or a nephrologist to get mm-hmm. the additional testing and help from a specialist that, that they need to go back to like their normal baseline for blood pressure. It's just so many areas where people can fill in. And I'm so thankful for you, Dr. Evans and 
direct primary care physicians who have the tools and the knowledge to like fill those gaps where people can walk in and get their care. And I also wanted to ask you this, because Catherine was saying how um, she wishes that moms can be seen before that six-week checkup because things happen then. Are there direct primary care physicians that go to homes? Because I think that would be amazing for like moms to get like a home visit from a PCP between that six-week checkup and maybe after. So <laughs> is that me? It is a small community of physicians that um provide fourth trimester care mm -hmm. um some well most of them to mom and baby mm -hmm. um and they are few and far in between mm -hmm. <laughs> uh but i do think that there are a couple in the um atlanta area um that i know of personally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I got these braces. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, that are few and far in between. Mm -hmm. Um the in there in Atlanta. Um I hope I can shout her out, but Jessica yeah. Yeah. Daigle, she will be starting. She she does a lot of mom support. She's a NICU hospitalist, but she does a lot of mom support groups and things like that. And I think in the near future, she will be taking care of baby and checking on mom in the house. She's a um, pediatrician by trade, uh, but she will, you know, mom, you okay? You have questions? Mm -hmm. You know, this is a lot. So, and she's in the metro Atlanta area. And so, because I love what Jessica said, there's a, there's a clinic up in Atlanta and they do home visits as well called Insight, mm -hmm. but if it were more common, and if the price is right, the thing about it is, if the price is right, then somebody would do it, right? And mm -hmm. so for us as PTs, we're in their homes day three, day four, day five after they leave the hospital. So we're screening. And then if someone has a postpartum doula, they could be screening. And then you have the physician to come in, they could be screening. Like that, that is what our moms deserve, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like while everybody's out there, you know, they're nonprofits, they have all this money that they are trying, like they want the journey to be safer. They want it to be healthier. Mm -hmm. They have funds set aside to do it. They, if they get an idea, a good idea, like physicians coming out and physicians are like, yes, I could, I could do that. If the price is right, I'll go to a mom, whatever certain number of visits with the right proposal, we could make that happen. Mm -hmm. So it's just, mm -hmm. it's a matter of funding sometimes. And mm -hmm. it could be done, right, Jessica? I, I'm excited about that idea. I'm excited about it too because here's my thing with like grants and funding like it's amazing it's so much money out there but sometimes i feel like so much gets allotted to um just sharing the statistics right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. these events and these programs to just kind of tell you that black women are dying three to five times more likely than you know and it's like mm -hmm. we got that or you know we're getting pamphlets and stuff and saying that and it's like we hear you but let's try to put that money into like solutions yes and fix this statistics so yes. yes Catherine, we need to girl because what if somebody put up money so that every mom once she got to nine months that she 36 weeks that she didn't have to work so someone put money up that way she's not having to take so the the family medical leave that could cover her she's out for a whole month she gets to relax because we know mm -hmm. her stress is going to go up that last month we also know it's going to go up during the delivery why not not have to drive into work, not have to worry about support, even if they let her work remotely? 
So we're working on that right now with one of our moms. She's under recovery. She doesn't get good sleep. Anytime she has to drive into the office, she has a day where she is not doing well. So we're going to communicate her data to her OB and hopefully she'll be able to at least work from home three days out of the week for her last month of the pregnancy. But let's say that she couldn't afford to do that or her job was like, well, no, we can't have you do that. Well, then an organization could step in and say, hey, we'll we'll pay whatever it was that your job was going to pay you. Just use your FMLA for now. And then she's mm-hmm. able to go right into maternity leave. Like we have ideas. We could, what if they sent mom's blood pressure cuffs? They sent them, right, their thermometer so that they could check every day. Some women are not checking because they don't have blood pressure cuffs. And we'll hear them say, oh yeah, we'll check it when we go back to the doctor in three weeks. No, no, we need to get you to Walmart and get a $30 blood pressure cuff so that you could check it yourself or you get a $60 one that goes directly to your primary care doctor mm-hmm. right? who's being right, paid. Right. Look at that every day. Right. So we could get y'all some if we could pay you for your time, then your time could be better allocated. But I feel like insurance un- undervalues you. They undervalue physical therapists. They undervalue. I mean, it's a lot of practitioners that we know could be on the team. And I think about, I was talking to little uh, five and six-year-olds the other day, and we were talking about not leaking when you don't want to, right? And PTs help with that. So I forgot why it came up. Oh, some of the girls were saying they love gymnastics and they were in the older, you know, age group. And, uh, and we were talking about how physical therapy can help even at that age to know how can you protect your pelvic floor so that when it comes time to have a baby, this issue doesn't manifest itself again because there are kids leaking in middle school and high school and they're not saying anything because they want to continue doing sports. So if we go ahead and just bring it up, hey, this could happen. You're leaking when you don't want to. If that happens, tell your mom, tell your primary care doctor, tell a physical therapist, like you can get to the person that you need. But if they don't know that it's a issue or they're embarrassed about that issue, they're not going to bring it up. So yeah, no, money, like we just, we got to start writing some proposals and getting sent some more money for what we know needs to happen. So for us, we know what we want maternal health care to look like. And so now it's just connecting with the people who can do the work and also with the organizations who can provide the funding. Mm-hmm. So. Let me say this, y'all, because it is election season and I early voted maybe like two weeks ago and there's something on the ballot this year about like extending maternal um, and paternal um, leave for mm-hmm. um, moms and dads. So if you feel like women should get more time, like pay time off and fathers as well, and you live in Georgia, make sure you vote. So that can be a thing because I'm so tired of women feeling like they have to work to the very last day just so they mm-hmm. take more time off with when the baby comes. And it it just should not be that way. It should not be that way. So vote, Georgia. <laughs> yes. Do you have anything else, Dr. Evans, that you would like to say? I, I did have, actually, I did have one more thing. Peacock, yes. you mentioned it. Can you just, because you explain things in such a simple mm-hmm. way which I love. When I tell you, when I meet physicians like you that make it really comfortable to ask questions, it really, like, it brings tears to my eyes because I feel like a lot of the problem with our moms is that they're afraid to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Because when they yeah. ask questions, they feel stupid. I have a friend whose child is going through brain surgery right now. And she called me with her questions because they were mm-hmm. talking and she just didn't, she didn't understand what they were mm-hmm. saying. And I'm like, part of our jobs 
as physical therapists, as doctors, as healthcare practitioners, is to communicate on the level of the person who is sitting mm -hmm. in front of you. And so I've heard a lot of women, they talk about PCOS, they're told they have PCOS, nothing else has been investigated, no one talked with them about how much sex they're actually having, but they are given that diagnosis. So can you explain what PCOS is for us? Yes. So that's the term polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, sometimes it can be difficult to diagnose. Sometimes there's those telltale signs like um, an excess hair growth, um, weight gain, um, acne issues. And that's because there's a terrible hormone imbalance in the body. Um, it leads to also the body being uh, not as sensitive to insulin. Um, some women, you can go, if they were to go and do a, a scope for them and things like that, um, you would notice that um, there are like multiple cysts on the ovaries. So polycystic ovarian syndrome. Some women don't necessarily have, they have all the, the issues, the symptoms, the lab tests, but they don't necessarily have all of the cysts so far on the ovary. But there is a big hormone imbalance, especially with the, there's a good amount of testosterone in the system. Um, so it can affect how a woman ovulates. It can affect um, their um, sensitivity to insulin and things like that. Um, so some women feel wrote off with it. It's like, okay, take these um, hormonal birth control pills and you'll be fine. But it's like, you know, some women get to age where they're like, but I want to conceive. I, you know, I want to know about my fertility. So that's when, you know, all the whole time there should be a talk about nutrition, things like that, um, to help um, help the women, especially with um, the issue with the uh, insulin and things like that. We can, you know, we can do birth control pills. We can do high doses of medicines uh, like metformin to help out. Uh, but th that's not solving the entire issue. So we need to be talking about things like, um, okay, let's treat your the way you're eating as if you're on the verge of being a diabetic to see yeah. if that helps, you know. Um, let's see if we can regulate you, you know, if you're comfortable, you want to not take the uh, hormonal pills and things like that. Let's see if there, if we get you moving more, if we can regulate you, you know, let's, let's see the different things we can, can do. We just need to make sure we address the issue of like, at some point in time, this person may want to conceive and how can we um, better help them ahead of time before they get to that age of frustration? Um, how can we uh, help them ahead of time and prepare them for what the road ahead? Dr. Evans, we love that because we're all about giving the tools. Not everybody's gonna wanna use the tools that we give them. But if they have access to the tools, they can grab it when they need it. It's like, I know how to change a tire. At no point in time do I want to change a tire. 
Sometimes I wrote someone pulls up and is like, can I help you? Yes, you absolutely can help me. Right. But if they look like they're crazy, then I can say, oh, no, 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 I, I got it. I'm good. <laughs> right. Right. And so mm -hmm. when we think about things like plant based diets and we think, OK, if someone could learn how to use a plant based diet, if they run into before they get pregnant. So I think dietitians, we think dietitians, nutritionists should have mm -hmm. a really high, good role yes. in maternal health as well. But let's say that so you learn that. And then you decide, but I don't want to follow a plant-based diet. That's fine. So then you get to pregnancy, though, and you notice high blood pressure because you're monitoring at home. Then you can be like, you know what? I don't like the plant-based diet, but I would do anything for my baby. So I'll go ahead and go back to that tool that was given to me earlier on in my life. Same thing with people. Mm -hmm. I can just go back to the tool. Because at the end of the day, when you tell a woman, don't smoke, don't drink during pregnancy, they don't because they care about their baby. Mm -hmm. So if we prioritize diet and exercise, early on, and we let them know, this is as much for your baby as you stopping smoking and drinking, then maybe they'd be more likely to implement it and then would run into less problems down the line. Because when you talk about that insulin, their decreased insulin sensitivity, it, 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 we don't want our moms running into diabetes during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know that moms know that that's part of the issue. All they know is I can't get pregnant, I can't get pregnant. Now they get pregnant and then they end up with gestational diabetes because they never addressed the diet issue in the first place. And so I just, thank you. Thank you for explaining that to us. No, no problem, no problem. I mean, it's a it's a big issue and, you know, we could go even deeper into it and things like that. But I, I think that those are the main things, like you said, just giving people the tools um, and the information that they need, like, not just for now, but for later, <laughs> you know, down the line, if I decide to do this, that and the other, um, how does that affect, how does this affect me later? Because, you know, even into breastfeeding, that there can be issues there with the um, mom that had PCOS and things when they're ready to breastfeed, even though they were able to conceive and um, give birth and things, you know, we might run into issues with breastfeeding. No one talks about the hormones, Dr. Evans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and hormone balance matters to get pregnant, mm -hmm. to stay pregnant, to start breastfeeding, to continue breastfeeding, to mm -hmm. return back to life. So when we have these babies there, stair steps, some people love that. I think it's great um, for those that it works for. But when you think about letting the body settle back down before putting it back into a marathon, um, mm -hmm. I think if moms knew, women knew more about hormones, that would be great. So there's so much knowledge that you all have and then that specialists have where mm -hmm. I think the information was just ex easily accessible, then moms would have a better understanding and not get so frustrated with their bodies when things don't go the way that they feel they should go because that added layer of stress makes it hard to get pregnant too. I mean, it's, it makes it hard to right. produce too. It makes it hard mm -hmm. to recover postpartum well. So, I mean, you are you are a wealth of information. Oh my goodness, this has been <laughs> such an amazing conversation. And you know, we really believe that God does everything for a reason. So when we ran mm -hmm. into you at the community health event, we knew that it was going to be something special. But honestly, I could not have imagined that our conversation would have would have gone like this. So it is better than I could have ever hoped for or, or dreamed of. So thank you. Thank you. I've I've really enjoyed my time um, talking with you all today. I think we've we brushed the surface, but we talked the, uh, about a lot of key points today.
Yeah. And so if people want to find you, are you on social media? Do you have? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us how people can find you. Um, if you want to find me as far as primary care, uh, we, I use the model called direct primary care. You can find me at Rejuvenate Family Healthcare on Facebook or Rejuvenate FHC underscore GA on Instagram. Um, and you can find out more information about the Central Georgia Birthing Project on Facebook at um, our parent organization in the Middle Georgia area, uh, Middle Georgia Community Collaborations. You can find out more there. Okay. Any last words for the beautiful ladies before you hop over or for our audience? Because there are more than women listening to the podcast. So do you have anything you want to say? Um, I would say take care of yourself. Um, self-care, sometimes we think it is, you know, getting your hair done. It is getting a massage. It is uh, sending the kids <laughs> to grandma's for the evening, getting your nails done, things like It is that. But it is also... Um, making sure you are taking the time to keep an eye in on your body and listening to your body of what's going on. It's taking the time to doing the best you can. Everybody's situation is different, but doing the best you can to get the proper nutrition and things um, that you need for yourself so that you can keep going and moving and shaking in those areas that you're you're known for and that you're that you feel called to be in. So I'll just tell everybody, like, uh, take care of yourself. Thank you so much, Dr. Evans. And we hope that you have a safe and healthy rest of your pregnancy. And Thank you. Postpartum. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Operation Miss podcast. It is our hope that you leave this conversation showered with love and empowered to live. If you are interested in being a part of Operation Mist, please head to operationmist.org to learn more about who we are, what we do, and how we can serve you.